One, two, three, four, I'm testing. Welcome to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. I am your host with the most, keeping 100 from coast to coast. A-D-Q. Now, if you listen to my podcast, you will know that I love to read the word. You know what I'm saying? I like to get into the word. Let's see what we got. Let's see what I got for y'all today. Because we got a packed, packed, packed episode today. For today, what I do? Not much, you know. Just went to a Juneteenth rally, heard some power. Yeah, just went to a Juneteenth rally. Chop it up with my man, Tamani Johnson. You know, you about to hear. You about to hear some, you about to hear, see some power from him uh, in the worlds of filmmaking. We are going to hmm. Let's go to Job chapter thirty-four verses ten through fifteen. Job chapter twenty. Chapter 34, verses 10 through uh, 15. It says, Listen to me, you who have understanding. Everyone knows that God doesn't sin. The Almighty can do no wrong. He repays people according to their deeds. He treats people as they deserve. Truly, God will not do wrong. The Almighty will not twist justice. Did someone else put this world in his care? Put the world in his care? Who set the whole world in place? If God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease and humanity would turn again to dust. So, part of that is true. God does treat us with the type of love that a good number of us do not deserve. I know I don't deserve the type of love and type of blessings that have hit my life. But for the most part, yeah, God can do no wrong. Absolutely. Even sometimes when we're looking at God, we're like, what in the world? You know, the master has a master plan. So, coming up next, I'm about to take y'all to the Juneteenth rally that I went to. Um, There's a little bit of language because we're talking about, because we're talking about, you know, justice and it's been a struggle for all of us here in Greensboro. So, we get passionate. So, stay tuned. And also, I want to introduce you all to some black businesses. Stay tuned. Keep it locked. This is ADQ's Renaissance. See that little row right there? You see this row right here? <laughs> 
we got to do better for them. What are we leaving them? What are we leaving them? Whose responsibility is it? DJ, wait on you. Yo, 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 my people. Welcome back to ADQ's Renaissance. I'm your host with the most. We've been in 100 for Coast to Coast. We got a both ADQ. Now, we're about to get into this here interview. This, this conversational conversation with my main man. My man. A man who has helped usher me fully into the film, into, uh, the film industry. Man who has a mind that the great that the that that <clears throat> the masses are awaiting to see a man who i have had who i greatly uh collaborated on on the film getaway ladies and gentlemen please welcome my man to money johnson co-host of uh uh, uh dag on man what's the name of the podcast uh the podcast is called homegrown community podcast homegrown community come on what's up brother how you doing, man? Adrian, good to hear from you, man. You too, man. Thanks for joining me today, man. How you living? I'm living great, man. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you. So, uh, before I say anything, I want to say to you, sir, happy Father's Day. Oh, it's a blessing. Appreciate it, man. You know, oh, yeah. I got, a, I got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, man, and it's, it's great every day. Man, I salute all fathers, especially black fathers. I did. I very much salute y'all, man. So, y'all, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for, thank you for how you are, uh, how you are contributing to the community with your own kid, with your own um, your fifteen, your kids, uh, boy and girl, girl, uh, two girls, two boys. What you got? Two boys. Two boys. You yes, are kings, man. So <laughs> yeah. So yes, yo. Sir. So yo, um, prior to prior to you dialing in, I was checking out that on forty one, uh, your joint forty one shots, that uh, forty one shots. Yes, bro, bro. <clears throat> so I don't know. I'm going to get. I'm going to learn. We're going to learn in a minute just who your influences are. But man, that was some trailer. That was some to money, to money Johnson type stuff. But that kind of put me. That kind of set me in the mind of something that Spike Lee would do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure, sure. Like, um, you know, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's definitely has that kind of spin of like, um, you know social justice black history you know what i mean um and and enlightening folks on what actually is going on in the streets and has gone on in the streets that we're that's kind of just kind of coming to the surface nowadays as far as the information being put out there of what's how police brutality and 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 our community has been affected for so many years you know what i mean I, i did that about three years ago as a part of a project for social uh restorative justice so it was a story that i remembered when i was growing up and i wanted to bring it to the to the light so yeah so um 
<clears throat> I'm just saying, man, that one with the music, the graphics, the narrative, all of that, all of that, the entire three, the entire three and a half minutes, man. Like your name is to money. Your name is spelled T U M A I N I. But after looking at that, that your name should be that on. Uh, your name should be spelled T U M O N E Y because that was for money, bro. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. So, so yo, what? I know you wear. I know you wear a lot of hats, but the film hat seems to be the one. Where you are most, where you are most invested, what 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 inspires you to get in the film? Um, I think it was just like a a, a place that I w- knew I would eventually end up. You know, what I mean, as a creative and as someone who always dabbles in trying to make something out of nothing or create something new or some type of art. Um, you know, film is a discipline that, you know, has multi is multidiscipline, you know what I mean? It has music, it has, you know, visual art, it has, you know, performance art, it has um, you know, even everything from technical side of it, from lighting to editing to so I guess it's just a way for me to express myself in all those different disciplines. Um, whether or not a hundred percent because you know I have to bring in other people and other talent. But uh, it allowed me, it allows me to kind of dabble in a little bit of everything. Yo, um, that may I like that. That's a, I like that. That's a great answer because because I never looked at it like that. See me, I originally got into film. I originally got into film. You know, I'm a theater person, but I got into film because I just wanted to see myself on TV. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> But when you think about it, when you be, when you start to wear the hat of a filmmaker, which having co-written two films, I could say that I could say that I could say that about myself, right? I could say that about myself, right? Sure, absolutely. Great, cool. ADQ's a filmmaker, so <laughs> having uh, worn that hat two times, I get it. It's like I'm going to tell a story in this space with this type of music playing, um, with uh, with this type of result and the result could be whatever you want it to be like i love films that i love films that take you somewhere that you never that you don't even expect it to go like here's an example django right yes with django you have a slave movie right in the form of a spaghetti western right yes in what slave movie that you've ever seen have you heard the F word used that many times? Heard rap music playing, and heard the slave, the the the, the main slave who the story is about, killing up everybody, killing up all the evil white people, and blowing up the plantation at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Django is one of my favorite films. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite filmmakers. The only thing about Django that I that I kind of only wish there was it was a black filmmaker that produced it you know i love tarantino um and maybe he was the only one that could pull off something like that but i would have loved to see you know a black filmmaker such as myself to pull off something like that because it was a powerful movie like you know you're making a slave the hero and the, and, the, and, the, and the superhero of a movie is just you know it was never been done before you know what i mean and it can't be done again because i mean you have django you know what i mean 
well, least not in that. At least not in that way. You know what I mean? At least not in that way, where it's spaghetti western comedy style, but still very powerful and potent when it comes to some of the themes. Um, you know that was addressed. Well, I'm about to say there is a slim loophole that could be utilized for that to happen. Number one, uh, you got movies like Posse that was talking about black cowboys. Yeah. Um, you got that. Also, if somebody was to do a story on Bass Reeves, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah, true indeed. You know? So that yeah. might be a project that we might, might might need to put our heads together on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm all for, uh, you know, the historical drama, um, African-American struggle, experience, and plight has always been something I've, you know, been attached to and been connected to. So it's like those stories, you know, more so now than ever need to be told. You know what I mean? And I've always been one that was, um, you know, inspired and empowered to tell those types of stories. You know what I mean? So I have a few irons in the fire, so to speak, and a few storylines and ideas that I'm developing that um, I definitely will be reaching out to you soon to uh, collaborate on. Oh, yeah, you got my number. So tell me this. So tell me this. Um, So you mentioned uh, Tarantino being um, someone that you admire and who is an influence on you. I I could rock rock with that as well because, you know, uh, Inglorious Bastards, man, um, daggone um, um, Pulp Fiction. Um, But... Um, who else? Who else falls within? Who else is an influence for you? Um, just uh, you know, of course, Spike, of course, you know, John Singleton, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, just from him, because I think I think John Singleton was my first introduction into. I mean, I knew about Spike, obviously, um, but John Singleton was from a standpoint of an independent filmmaker that I looked at that was like, oh, he's just the, he's, Spike seemed kind of like out of reach to me in terms of like his NYU career and his whole journey. Um, but uh, John Singleton was the one that I could closely relate to in terms of like, okay, here's a regular everyday guy that made a film that was dope. You know what I mean? Um, and, he, and he entered that world you know, so as far as black filmmakers concerned, but uh, you know, the Cohen brothers are uh, I'm a fan, big fan of the Cohen brothers' work. Um, you know, you know, and there's Christopher Nolan when it comes to like the dark, you know, Batman kind of stuff and those dark films. Yeah, nice Shalom. I can never say his name. You know, the guy that does like you know, Glass and Broken and. Um, all those like those thriller and mystery movies you know yeah so I mean I really don't have a particular like okay that's my guy I mean Tarantino was at the top of the list or up there um but I mean I just respect art you know what I mean I respect art I respect good film you know what I mean there's probably tons of independent short films that never even made it on the mainstream that I just you know what I mean like blown away by you know what I mean so you know you, it's funny that I like I like how you make that uh, John Singleton and Spike Lee um, comparison because you got me thinking about Boys in the Hood and Do the Right Thing. Both of them powerful, impactful movies, and and if I'm not mistaken, they both came out around the same time. I think Do the Right Thing came out in '89, 
and Boys in the Hood came out in 91, right? Yeah. I grew up on Boys in the Hood. I did not see Do the Right Thing until around my teens. And now you got me asking myself, if I had to choose which one I would be, that which one would I rock with more, you know? Which one would I rock with more? I think that gone, man. I think I would probably just go with Boys in the Hood because, you know, I don't know. It just kind of seemed a, a, just a tad bit more real. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, from a storytelling perspective, I think Boys in the Hood definitely hit it on the head. I mean, because it brought you into the world of South Central Los Angeles. So, you know, a guy like me from New York that never really saw that world outside of like hearing it in songs and things like that. I was really able to see through that story, through that lens of what it was to grow up in that in that neighborhood. You know what I mean? And, you know, e- even so with, um, you know, Do the Right Thing, where it was like, you know, Bed Bestavis in Brooklyn was a glimpse of that, too. But it was more of a, a familiarity there. You know what I mean? I kind of understood how that was. And then, I mean, it was good as far as the story is concerned. But I think as far as the impact that the story had, Boys in the Hood definitely was the one for me. Well, I could actually relate to I could actually relate to uh, both in some way, but I could definitely relate to uh, do the right thing in this aspect. Number one, I spent uh, a summer in Queens, right? And it does get that hot in New York. <laughs> yeah, I mean it gets ungodly hot in New York, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's anybody a, it's a street heat. that's what you call street heat it's a street heat like you can feel the, the the heat emanating from the asphalt you know what i mean and it, that adds to the to the temperature yeah i mean dang so um so yeah both movies are classics you know also with john singleton recipes to him john singleton gave us rosewood higher learning um, <clears throat> he even gave us hustle and flow. He didn't write or direct it, but he that gonna sure pay for it. Yeah, I so, mean, but you also gotta even think about like Robert Townsend, you know, he's a filmmaker and um, man, you know, Robert Townsend is a uh, uh, Morris Van Peoples was like that's throwback, that's way back, you know. what I mean, he was like Mario Van Peoples, yeah, one of the first black uh, filmmakers around that time. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean. I, I would like to see myself in that in that echelon of like the filmmaker, black filmmaker, but I I don't even want to put a, 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 a quote unquote I'm doing the air quotes color label to it. I just want to be respected as a filmmaker because I'm not just making uh I'm just telling stories and the story is just is a human story, you know what I mean? So I wanna focus on that and um really not be put into a category, you know what I mean? Well, I'll put you in the category. I'll put you in the category of a great filmmaker. I put and I saw that uh I saw that greatness early on because of the way we put together getaway, man. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was. And <clears throat> number one, I, I I would like to personally thank you for allowing me to be part of the process because you know, I got to stretch myself. I got to let's put it this way. Um, for those who haven't seen it, uh, shame on you, but you should see it. Mm-hmm. But for those who haven't seen it, <laughs> um, I dropped uh, my play, Battle of the Books, on Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Getaway was actually my first exposure 
to casting people, putting together a cast for something I wrote. Right. Right. So I will say getaway was like a growing process for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, the way I structured it as a producer was just for that reason, to get people who were interested, eager, or just wanted to see what the whole filmmaking process was about. You know what I mean? And I introduced not only yourself, but some other folks uh, into that process. You know, me being exposed to it, I was just like, you know, anybody could get in this and still have fun and learn some things. So that's how it was structured, and it, it came it came across well, you know. And I appreciate your help on the project. You should definitely, you know, share the link to this podcast, um, or rather to the to to the film in this podcast, so that way people get to check check it out. Oh yeah, absolutely. I will. A- oh yeah, I will. I will absolutely um, allow you all to check out this getaway joint that I was talk that we're talking about. <clears throat> no, Sal. So. Getaway. See, I was about to tell the story, but nah, I'll just I'll just give a brief synopsis. Mm-hmm. What happens when three when three people do something stupid and they're um and they're locked and they're stuck with a stupid person while stupidity takes place? <laughs> Boom! There you go. <laughs> That's why I couldn't say it better myself. That's fine. <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> and I know that your music choice for the pl- for the film was just off the charts how do you go about choosing music for a film yeah my my first background into i guess quote unquote media production or art production you know just art in general it's been it started with music you know what i mean i used to make beats and go in the studio and record artists and things like that so my attachment to music is is usually the foundation of how I start projects, you know what I mean? Like, what inspires me musically um, to tell a story? And so I, I knew that story had a lot of themes to do with, like, it was kind of like almost like a, a, a old-school kind of reggae vibe that I was feeling with that film, you know what I mean? Um, like, kind of like I Shot the Sheriff, you know, kind of vibe with Bob Marley, that kind of thing. Right. So, you know, I, I, I just I just fell into that zone and, I, and it fit. It worked well, you know what I mean? And there's some films that you do that has a more hip-hop kind of feel and energy to it. And there's some that has more of a classical, you know, or even a jazz kind of feel to it. So it really, you know, whatever ties into the whole theme of the story is the direction I usually lean towards musically. I felt kind of like a classical... I did feel some kind, some kind of like a classical melancholy type feel with 41 shots but with when i checked out um <clears throat> uh lunch counter when i checked that one out um that had that has a jazzy type vibe which is crazy because i start every episode um with coffee shop jazz because you know i just i just love jazz mm-hmm. and it was right there in that film that film that started out started out uh kind of cool stuff given the circumstances that ended up pretty ugly yeah so are you referring to lunch counter i oh. am referring to lunch counter okay okay yeah so oh go ahead i'm sorry no i mean the the jazz the jazz music in lunch counter was uh was a choice to do with the timing um, of the period because it is a historical period piece and jazz around that time was 
starting to uh, introduce itself into the mainstream. So you had artists like John Coltrane and Miles Davis and a lot of these artists that were really starting to come about. And, you know, as far as the black experience uh, in America, you know, at that time, you know what I mean? Jazz was that radical music. That was the hip hop of the time, to be honest. You know what I mean? It was the, you know what I mean? The public enemy at that time was just that non-traditional, like off the wall, hard hitting drums and horns and just, you know, no structured jazz music that kind of, you know, spoke to the chaotic times uh, of the, the early, you know, civil rights in our country, in this country. You know who you kind of like sounding like real right now? Who's that? You're sounding kind of like not uh not like word for not kind of like verbatim, but you're kind of like sound like uh Ryan Gosling's character in uh La La Land. Oh, I I do like the way I'm speaking. Uh, like the way no, like the way the way you break down jazz, the way you break oh, down okay lines and um the riffs and. All that jazz brings into the culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me this. Um, <clears throat> I look at uh, I look at today's current like current like Hollywood film scene and whatnot, and I must say, I must say, I'm disgusted to money. Uh, like for real, I really am. The reason why is because, the what? Yeah, I'm just go ahead. Okay, see the reason why is because check this out. I'm walking into the movie theater to see The Lion King. This happened a few months ago. I walk into the movie theater with the see Lion King, the reboot of Lion King. Um, two uh two and a half hours of my life that I'll never get back. <laughs> and I look to my left, and I see. And I see that a live action Dora the Explorer movie is about to come out. I'm like, what? Why is it live action? Why don't they just keep it as a cartoon? Yeah. I walk down the hall and I see a poster for Frozen 2. I sit back and I think to myself, I'm going to see a reboot. I'm going to go see a remake of Lion King. You got Dora the Explorer, the cartoon that is about to be a live-action movie. I haven't even seen it. I don't really want to see it. <laughs> well, of course, I'm not a kid, so I don't, I'm not obliged to see it. And you got Frozen 2. You got all of these reboots and remakes going on. They're even talking about remaking New Jack City. Really? All sequels upon sequels and sequels. Very, very little original content these days right no yeah I, I think like, I think that has to do a lot a lot to do with like the way Hollywood has to rebrand itself and constantly rebrand itself and the best way that they can do that is taking what's familiar to them and what they have succeeded on in the past you know what I mean why create something new and test it that for the chances and the odds of it not being successful. So they take a brand that people are already familiar with, like Adora the Explorer or the Lion King or, you know, the fifth installment of the Marvel, you know, universe, you know what I mean? Whatever the case may be, 
to reintroduce something that people are familiar with is almost a guaranteed, you know, you know, at least break even. You know what I mean? When it comes to returning on their investment, you know. So a lot of the original stories and originality comes from the independent artists and the independent filmmakers um, that are probably becoming more and more prominent in, in, in this day than ever before. So they Hollywood has to compete with that, you know. Personally, I think personally, I think, yeah, the independent scene is where it's at because it because Uncut Gems was an independent movie. Right. And if Hollywood was and if the Oscars were judged fairly, Adam Sandler would have at least been nominated because he killed it in there. Yeah. Um um, let's see, Ray, Ray, Ray was Ray was an independent movie. There uh there are other independent movies out there that I'm not that I'm not all that familiar with. But it's like the independent scene, that's where people get to be creative, where people are creative and they're like, Okay, I'm gonna put this out. I'm banking on it, everybody behind me is banking on it. It may break even, it may uh or it may bomb. Let let's just see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 not hard, it's not it's not easy to make a film, but it's easy to make a film. And what I mean by that is like um before, Take us afraid, please. Before it used to be, you know, that to make a film you needed these big studios with big budgets to tell a good story. You know what I mean? And over the years, probably about a good almost two decades now, we've come into the space where independence can that with a with a small budget you know as long as they have the right resources they can make a film you know and now more so than ever because i mean anybody with a camera and a good story can make something happen you look at a film like moonlight or um you know blair witch project for that that reason you know what i mean just like you pick up, pick up a camera and just have something and you can go mainstream with it and it kind of it kind of reminds me of the, the music industry you know what I mean? Where back in the day, it used to be like you had to get a record deal, so you shop a demo, and then if you're lucky, you'll get picked up by a record label, and you'll get like a you know a twenty thousand dollar budget to go and record, and you put out a record, and maybe if you're lucky, you'll have one single hit that will get on the radio. You know what I mean? And it's really like how it is now with film. It's like you know. You know, you go out there, you make something, you put it out there and you get it on YouTube or wherever, whatever platform. And hopefully people will, you know, will respond to it and, you know, check it out. And that'll lead you to your second film and your third film. At least that's my approach. You know, I mean, if I put out enough content, you know, and eventually I'll have that one film that will be like, wow, this is the thing he's been working for for 20 years. You know what I mean? So... Well, I know that with films like 41 Shots, you, sir, are on your way. And, um, you know, I used to... See, I see. I have a background in rapping. And so I used to... Um, I used to I used to be one of those who was like, yo, let me make this like really dope demo and shop it around on record labels. But now, when it comes to everything I do, I take the chance to rap or approach. Chance ain't signed no label. Right. At least I don't think. Last yeah. I heard you. Me, I've learned. Me, I've learned that the way to shop a product, shop your name, all of that, 
is number one, forget the mailman, forget mm-hmm. the company, whatever. Uh, brand yourselves. Like, um, like Tyler Perry, Kevin Hart, Jay Z, they are pushing owning your own brand heavy, heavily, and I and I and I agree with that. Yes. On your own your own brand. Now, what puts money into your brand? Quite easy. Same thing that quite easy. Same thing that made Tyler Perry a household name. People. You gotta know your audience. You gotta appeal to a certain to a certain audience and appeal to a certain number of that audience that was that would have executives in uh all the major studios looking at you like, oh dang, I gotta get this person on my side. And we'll be able to pull some money because this person has a following. Right. Exactly. That's exactly That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm. So I think that it's only a matter of time before we see before we see you up there uh, to money. Now I gotta ask you something. Um. Let's go. Let's revisit lunch counter because lunch counter. If you're here in Greensboro, you know, anybody listening to this will know, Lunch Counter covers um, one of the key, one of the key narratives to have ever occurred in the history of this city. Four four brothers, they were not, they were not brothers like, they were related to each other, but they were brothers, you know, black men. Four A&T, then at the Lunch Counter and Woolworths. And receive it all hell for it. All they wanted was a cup of coffee. What inspired you to uh, go? What inspired you to visit this story? Um, There's just another story that I connected with in terms of like being an ins- an important story to tell to the youth, like to my kids. Like you know, we had gone to the Civil Rights Museum and everything like that, and that's fine that's cool but i'm like well how many other people that don't get to go to the civil rights museum and don't know about this story you know and it's a there there are forms of that story told in the documentary form but there were no uh films of it told from a narrative perspective just like a short film that people can you know feel as if they're sitting in the lunch counter with them you know what I mean? So that kind of what inspired me. I was like, well, there's nothing like that has been done. And shoot, here I am in Greensboro. Why not do it? You know what I mean? So yeah, I just pulled the trigger on it and it came out really well. So so um, nobody knows the type of dialogue that, that the men had with each other that day. So how are you able to come up with the dialogue that they might have had? And what space did you what places you take yourself to in order to uh, be able to write that? Um, well, I did do a lot of research and I uh, did do a lot of, you know, just different accounts and different little sound bites of the, the, the gentlemen themselves who had said where their minds was. They kind of alluded to and gave a, a glimpse of where their mind was at at that time. And so I just extracted that energy and just was like, okay, if I was them, this is what I would have been feeling. And this is what I would have been saying with my friends if we were about to do something um, as um, powerful and as impactful as what they did, um, and as courageous as what they did at the time. So I just kind of put myself in that space as a 19-year-old black man in, that, in, 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 in the 60s, you know, early 60s, late 1950s, living in Jim Crow segregated South how would I have felt? You know, 
I mean, I think that's something we all can still feel today where there's inequalities and injustices in our communities that we still voice out. So a lot of that energy is just the, the energy that, you know, black men, black people have been feeling their entire life just from being a, a so-called American. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those things where I had to just extract my own energy and then put it in their words. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that like I felt like with the words with the with the with the dialogue that was exchanged between them, they knew that they were about to do something impactful, but possibly something that can that was a bit fatal. Right? Yeah, could have been dangerous, yeah. It could have went a totally different different, different way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it totally could have. So, um, what pieces? What pieces? Uh, do you what? What ground? Let's see. What how I put this? What ground do you aspire to cover? Like, what other type of historical events would you like to cover? Um, I recently saw the Five Bloods. Um, mm. Back and, to Spike. Yeah, back to Spike. Um, and again, I respect and admire Spike's work. Um, and I recently read an article where he initially wanted to cast Denzel, Samuel Jackson, and uh, who else did he want? But just those two alone, right? Just those two alone and come up with three other supporting actors would have been an entirely different movie. You know what I mean? And I, I, I'm not to take anything away from the actors that were in the movie, but I, I think that did take away from the movie, if that makes sense. Um, it wasn't one of those films that I was just like blown away by. Although I enjoyed the theme, the approach, and the plot, the, it was there were elements that were lacking to me. You know what I mean? And that's just my, you know, Un, unrequested review on it but I think with the five bloods just that theme about any kind of experience in the black experience that for t- that tells American history is an important film to tell is an important story to tell you know what I mean because there's so many of them and it, they, they've, they're, they're so scarce you know what I mean they're just starting now to be told you know in the space publicly and, you know, and if anything in this country that needs to be addressed, it is the history of African-Americans in this country. You know what I mean? If there's anything else that needs to be spoken upon, it, it, it has to be that because it's just been void for so many years. I agree. But, you know, next, um, <clears throat> the next uh, black narrative I would like to see. And I would like, and, and like you, I would like to see it put together by a black filmmaker. I want to see someone uh, cover cover Black Wall Street. Yes. I think that, you know, you could either do the one in Tulsa, you could do the one in Charlotte, Wilmington, wherever. Just someone need to talk about black. Someone need to talk about Black Wall Street. Yeah. I, I, I entertain that idea and you know it's still on my queue of possible films that I do you know what I mean it's just I, when I when I approach a film idea I really have to immerse myself in it I can't be doing other things 
in my life. That's kind of what happened with with the uh, lunch counter. Lunch counter was literally a five month investment into like okay, first two months is development. You know, writing the script, putting it together, figuring it out. The month of just trying to get all the people together and put from from a production development standpoint, and then two months of production and post-production you know what i mean and that's kind of like how i approached it but i didn't have anything else to do you know what i mean i wasn't focusing on anything i wasn't working anywhere else it was just like okay this is my project for the next five months and i kind of have to be in that space to do any film project so um which is why i need collaborators so yeah when if, if you want to work on something like that man let's talk about it you know and you know collaboration is 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 one of the key things to um putting out content and being it, it being successful. So y'all are hearing it here. Y'all may be hearing history where ADQ into money collaborate again and put something else powerful into the world. We can do it. <laughs> we can do so, it. So tell me this, tell me this. Because, because one thing that I've learned about filmmaking is like you just said, it is a huge investment of time me I have been the type to I have been the type to like completely overload my schedule like here's a little like here's a little tidbit of information for you all out there when we did when we did getaway I wasn't even there on set that much I was only there to shoot my scene and uh help out however I however I could I wasn't even there because I was all doing another film, and I and I was and I was acting in the play the following weekend, and I think I was in the play after that and after that and all that good stuff. Anyway, I keep myself busy, but from what you're is what you're saying from what you're saying is when you choose a project that you are going to work on and you are going to be laser focused on that, you can't be involved with nothing else. You have if you're if it's going to be good. You have to put your all into it, right? Absolutely. I mean, as a producer, yeah, you absolutely. You cannot be a producer. You know, I hear people say they produce multiple projects at the same time, which I don't see how they could. But, you know, from a producer standpoint, you you know, the producer is the person who makes sure everybody is where they should be and when they should be, you know. And he or she is the person who has to make sure that the budget is taken care of, and that there is there's even a budget to begin budget to begin with, you know what I mean? So, like, there's so many different how do I put it balls that you got to keep in the air when you're juggling this process of filmmaking as a producer standpoint. Now, the director not so much. I mean, the director just has to show up there for the nine hours on set to make sure the direction process is being done and executed effectively. You know what I mean? So, you know, maybe that's a little different from producing. So um, tell, tell 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 us all tell us more about producing because you know because having put out my own put out my plays and stuff I've been wanting to call myself a producer but I don't know if I can call myself a producer because I looked at the definition of producer but you know sometimes definitions of producer <laughs> don't particularly uh don't particularly answer that question for me so I want to ask somebody who's actually done it what is the job of a producer. Um, the job of producer is uh, the producer is the person who gets the team together. So he brings in the resources, or he or she brings in the resources 
to make the project happen. You know what I mean? So a producer may need a director, obviously a casting director. They're going to need an editor. They're going to need a story. They're going to need a screenplay if it's not something they wrote themselves. So um, it's just bringing in all the elements and then going to where the funding is to make those elements, to compensate for those elements. Um, And then execute the project from start to finish is what a producer does um you know so yeah that's pretty much it uh, in my in my in my words in my term you know way i describe it and define it okay got you got you got you so i think i can i think i can call myself a producer because um i'm with you collaboration is very essential to putting together a successful project because I can say that when I put together time, um, put when I when I put together time, that was stressful, like very stressful. I was on stage in character, acting, hoping that the light, hoping that the lighting will go well, hoping that I won't forget lines, hoping yeah. that the, uh, hoping that, hoping that the director side was coming out, hoping that uh, the ladies who were also in the piece with me won't forget their lines. Don't forget they're blocking all of that. So yeah. Woo-wee. I yeah. try to do well yeah, I mean that's that's what a producer does. A producer wears many hats, you know what I mean? And it, it's harder, of course, when you're a producer, director, writer, and actor in your own project. I mean, God, you gotta do all of those things, you know. I mean, it's kind of easier to be a producer and just say, Okay, you do this, you do that, you do this, and then you just sit back and make sure they do it, you know, from a managerial perspective, but um, as a as a as a you know person that's doing all those things, I mean, you know, you kind of just have to be in that flow state where you kind of the vision is kind of leading you to where it should go. Right, right. Well, I can happily say that with Battle of the Books, though I was planning on acting in it when John Black came on my radar, and uh, well, John Black has been on my radar for years. You know, great friend. But mm-hmm. when he showed when he expressed interest in possibly acting in the reading, or when he said yes when I asked him to, and expressed interest in being in the, being involved in the project for the long haul, I was like, you know what, Black, you can have it because yeah. the Elijah character is a father. I'm not a father. Black is a father. The Elijah character is more calm and laid back. I can be, I can play law, calm and laid back. That's my acting side. But you know what? If I get to direct somebody how to be calm and laid back and be uh, this, that, and the other, I, I, I think it'd be more beneficial for me to do that. So while the technical issues made the uh, presentation of Battle of the Books a bit stressful, not having to act in it uh, took, took some of the stress off. Yes. So, yeah, no, that's that's important. That's important to kind of you know, you know, kind of know going beforehand, going into the project, what your role is, and not to have to be pulled out of that role too much will also contribute to the success of the project. You know what I mean? Because you gotta, you know, you know what you know where your lane is. You know what you're capable of and what you got to do. You know. And basically, you're and basically. What 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 are, what are your lanes when you put together a film? I know director, producer, writer are three of them. What where are the other ones? 
I usually do editorial. I, I usually like to edit the project, especially, you know, um, for Lunch Counter, I didn't do the cinematography in that. I had a um, um, brother by the name of Mohammed Karim do the cinematography, and he did a great job on that. So uh, I just was left with the editing, the directing and editing on that. So, you know, producer, director, editor, and screenwriter. So one thing led to the other. So I wrote the script. Then I kind of, as I'm writing it, I could, I could see, visualize in my head how I wanted the scenes to be directed. So that was kind of being developed along alongside of it, itself in tandem. And then the same applies when you're shooting it and you're directing it, you're kind of thinking beforehand, okay, when I get into the editing bay, this is how I want this scene to be cut. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like you're always thinking like three, four steps ahead in terms of the whole entire process. And so, um, yeah, editing definitely is one of the things where I like to be, have my hands on because I kind of finish it. You know what I mean? I can see the vision all the way through. Right, right. But one thing about editing, I would like to um, try my hand at editing too. But I know that with editing, you have to pay attention to every small detail. Because I know that if you look at every single film, there's a continuity error somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, true. Like, 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 you, like you said that you're a Christopher Nolan fan, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. One, I don't know if this is an error, but I think it was an error uh, to me. Uh, Dark Knight. During uh, the scene where, uh, where uh, Christian Bale as Batman was interrogating um, Heath Ledger as Joker, I asked myself, was Heath Ledger supposed to close his eyes before, uh, before Christian Bale smashed his head through, into that table? Right. Right. I just happened to notice that. Yeah. And that, that, that's probably more of a directorial thing than it is a editorial thing. Because if they would have caught it on set when it happened, then the editor wouldn't have that problem, you know. But as an editor, you kind of got to be like, you kind of have to you have to deal with what you, yeah, you have to use what you have to work with. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, man, I don't have a shot of him not closing his eyes or, you know what I mean? So we just got to pick the best one out of maybe three or four different shots. You know, and you're and, you're, limit, you're limited in that regard. So, yeah, and um, and also, also, I think you could agree with me when I say, I would say to anybody, any aspiring filmmaker out there, you know, just throw my little hat up in there since I'm a theater person. Um, would you agree that you do not need a million dollars to make a million dollar project? I agree. I agree 100%. Oh. Then again, Blair Witch Project proves that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you need resources. And the best, like, I think uh, Getaway was a no-budget film. A no-budget, not low-budget, no-budget. It was, uh, I'm trying to think if there was any funding I had for that. Well, let me go back. Um, Getaway, I think I had about $500 that I raised on an Indiegogo project. Uh, in Indiegogo um, or GoFundMe or whatever the platform was, I raised $500 to facilitate this project. And most of that went to literally buying pizza for the crew. Um, I did have to pick up a few props um, 
costumes and things like that that I got from the thrift store. But I was able to pull out. We were able to pull off everything in that $500. You know what I mean? And luckily, everybody that participated on it, they didn't want to get paid. They weren't actors that were like, okay, yeah, this is my day rate or anything like that. It was just like volunteers that wanted to be, wanted to be proud of, part of the project. Um, the lunch counter, I was able to pull off for $1,800. Um, because, again, everything was donated. Only thing I had to really invest a lot of money into was costumes and um, food for the crew. And I did have some logistical things that I needed to apply um, as far as from a production standpoint, like keeping people in track uh, on this platform that I had to, um, that I I purchased to use to organize things. Um, It's a platform called Studio Binder, and it helps organize the production process. So other than that, I mean, I was able to pull that off of like, um, you know, $1,500, $1,800. And then I think, um, what was it uh, 41 shots I think I did for like $150 because I used green screen and I did all the editing myself and you know I think I paid I think I paid all the actors like maybe you know $20 just to come and you know give their time you know so um, so so we live in so we live in a generation you and I both both of us are 80s babies we live in a generation where, like you said earlier, anybody can take their cell phone out and be a filmmaker. Now, anybody can't be good. <laughs> because I've seen some films that suck. Yeah. yeah. I mean, suck. That made me be like, bruh, yo, you should have paid me to watch this. Yeah. Tell me this. What would be your advice to any um, aspiring up and coming filmmakers? Um, I mean, I think any, any, you know, any any film, you know, I like. I agree with you. I've seen like big budget Netflix films and big budget films on Amazon and even in the box office, man. And I'm like, really? They paid this much money for this piece of crap? And I mean, just total garbage. So it's like, it's one of those things that it really starts with a story. Like, if you got a good story, then half the battle is won. You know what I mean? Because all you have to do is just execute in a way that you're telling that story in the most effective manner. And it doesn't take a lot of money to do that. It just takes a lot of patience to ask the questions. Is this telling the story properly? You know what I mean? Is this scene, is this camera angle, is this character, is this actor uh, uh, doing the story justice, doing the character justice? Does it invoke those emotions and those feelings that, um, you know, you get when you read it, you know, and you visual, you see that vision in your head, you know what I mean? So it's just like, again, it's long story short, man, just have a good story. And then try to extract that story onto some kind of visual medium, such as film. Right. Well, you know, well, you know, me having been uh, having uh, written written theater, part of part of what has helped me uh, again to the whole filmmaking thing with you and with uh, my man Benji Fresh out to him um, is 
storytelling. I'm one thing I could definitely do is tell stories. I have a ton to learn about the actual filmmaking process, you know, filming, timing, lading, all of that. But I do know how to tell a story. Yeah. So yeah, um, I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely it's coming from your background with with uh, with theater. Um, definitely, I mean, you have a leg up because I mean, you know, basically, you know how from start to finish, start from beginning to end, knowing how to keep people engaged and entertained, telling that story. You know what I mean? So it translates well to film. I'm re- uh, thank you, man. I'm glad because see, I've 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 come to realize. A lot of people go from stage into film and film into stage thinking, oh, I'm just acting. I mean, there's, uh, it ain't different. It's wrong. It's, they are stage, film, two completely different mediums. You will not even act the same that in film as you will in theater and vice versa. Right. You all, if you... <laughs> If you walk onto a film set being all loud, enunciating, and expressive as you would on stage, people look at you like you're dead on crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think the difference is that in, in film, the camera picks up those nuances, and you want that. That's a good thing. You want those facial expressions. You want those beats and those pauses between your delivery. You want that timing to be precise because it's as if it's real time with a with a stage play i think you kind of have to be more theatrical if that makes sense it has to be more dramatic it has to be more exaggerated so that way people can be captured in that moment that they don't they those things that they miss out on those little nuances that they'll normally miss you know what i mean so i think that's the difference and that's a big difference you know what i mean so you're right to that point yeah, like I would tell, I would, I would tell any, I would tell anybody. Anyone who doesn't believe me, all right, check this out. Um, watch Denzel Washington and Viola Davis in the film version of Fences, and then Google, go, I mean, go to YouTube, watch scenes of the theatrical version of Fences that they did on Broadway. I guarantee you, same lines but completely different delivery both times. Uh, yeah. in both. Yeah. Yeah. So. So um. So, um. Real quick to my real quick to money before we uh before as we start to wrap this up, um. Spike Lee Spike Spike Lee teaches um at NYU. He teaches film at NYU. Um. John Singleton went to USC. When everybody, when everybody, uh, when the whole world talks about you and your Academy Award winning films and stuff, they will know that uh, they will know that uh, you were educated from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Are you proud to? Are you proud to say that, or 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 uh, or uh, otherwise? Um. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm proud of. UNCG and what I've learned from there um, UNCG um, is not a film program and it's funny they used to have a, uh, a a master's program an MFA program in film production I believe a film 
arts and film or something to that along the lines that was film related. Um, the media studies program at UNCG does not, although it does touch upon elements and basically the foundations and basics of filmmaking with several courses that I've taken with them. So that kind of introduced me to from an academic standpoint of what filmmaking is about. But much of what I learned about filmmaking is me going out on my own trialing era, testing the waters and watching a bunch of YouTube videos. You know what I mean? Uh, and mainly testing it out on my own and, 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 and having the courage to go out there and take a film, a camera and getting some people together and saying, hey, we're going to make this. And that's exactly what I did with um, Lunch Counter, Getaway and 41 Shots. Um, all of those films I produced while I was in school. Um, I'll say what I did learn from UNCG was just how to network, find the talent, scout the people who are interested, um, build a network of talented people such as yourself and other folks that I've met and, and relationships that I've built at UNCG that kind of helped me um, branch out and test those um, waters in terms of, you know, experimenting with these different projects. So that's a big benefit. That's a great thing because there's a lot of energized and artistic and talented people um, anywhere you go. And it just so happened they're concentrated in a university setting. So me being there um, allowed me to tap into that resource and tap into those folks and build up that, that, those relationships. Um, but I guess to answer your question academically, I mean, you can go anywhere, NYU, or any community college and you, you go in learning what they give you but you only obtain and acquire knowledge and expertise through reaching outside of what the curriculum is going out and expanding your own knowledge and being in a person who's willing to research and dig deeper for information and things that's going to help you in your career Grants, grants, because there's people who rely, who, see, when I was at UNCG, I'll say this, when I was at UNCG, I thought, okay, being here is make or break. If I, if I fail here, if I screw up, I'm probably going to never be able to act again. And wrong, I screwed up and I'm still doing my thing. Yes. So, I'm still, though I only have four more semesters to go before I graduate, so praise God for that. Um, so I ask you this to money. Um, what is the goal that you are reaching? What, what, uh, what is the ultimate goal and what are some future and where are some, and what, what is the future? Hold? What is the project that you're working on? Um, I guess, you know, I, 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 I made a goal like early in my career, probably like around when I, when I started off with getaway which is now three years ago, I said, you know, I want to make one film a year for the rest of my life, if not more each year, um, at least at least one film a year. You know what I mean? And that's a short film. That could be a commercial. That could be something that I create through the medium and the cinematic medium and, and release it and put it out there to the world. And that's what I've been doing ever since and what I plan to continue to do. Um, this year has been a little weird, so I still got some time to finish some things up this year, but I kind of got thrown off my horse for obvious reasons this year, but, uh, you know, we still got time. All right. So, um, so I like how, I like how I said, I mean, I like how you said produce at least a year, 
a film a year. You didn't say Oscar. You didn't say Netflix. None of that. You said produce a film a year. That means that you are more focused on the art and not on the reward. Yes. Yes, indeed. So if people wanted to like collab with you, get some advice from you, um, I don't know, um, get the rights to get away and um, have it produced in Hollywood or whatever, mm-hmm. how can people contact you? Um, they can contact me on my email address. is Tumani Johnson at Hotmail. That's T-U-M-A-I-N-I-J-O-H-N-S-O-N at Hotmail. Um, and then I'm on I'm on Facebook and Instagram under the name FX. That's E H P H E X. So on Facebook it's Tumani FX, and Instagram it's FX Media. Um, so yeah, E H P H E X. Google it; it'll come up, and all my social medias and everything is connected to that. And anybody who wants to, and anybody who wants to contact me, my email is adq for Christ. That's ADQ, Apple Doll Queen, for the number four, Christ as in Jesus Christ at gmail.com. My Instagram is Dion Chocolate Guy85. My my uh, Twitter handle is Avenue ADQ underscore 85. And my uh, Facebook is Adrian Dion Quarles. My government name, A D R I A N D I O N Q U A R L E S. Please do not call the CIA on me. Um, some money. <laughs> Thank you for all you do, man. I look forward to working with you some more because I had the time of my life doing Getaway. Yo, I just, when I watch Getaway, man, I just hear the lines that they say, mm-hmm. knowing that I broke that mug. Um, I just look at, uh, I just look at Nikayla, Harrison, and Bryce, knowing that uh, I, I'm the one, I'm the one who recommended that we cast him. Absolutely. And I'm like, dang, man. Yeah. It was a good time, man. It was a good film, and I, I, I hope more people will check it out. So please do. Um, I'll, I'll, if you don't have the link, I'll share the link with you, so that way you can put it, attach it to this podcast. So if anybody's listening, want to see it, you know, you would think that I would have the link to my own film because I can say that that's my film. You think yeah. I have the link? To my you own would film? think, yeah. Well, please, the link. <laughs> yes, I will. But, but man, for everything you do, man, I will. I, I happily say that you are very needed, necessary. And embrace member of the Renaissance. We here, we here in the Renaissance, your people. We need you to continue making the powerful narratives that you do, because I think that you know, with the unrest, with George Floyd, with um, with uh, Rayshard Brooks, uh, with Breonna Taylor, all of that. Those are stories that can be told on the silver screen, thus educating people. Yes, I agree. So man, keep doing what you're doing, and I'm happy to be part. I'm happy to be part of the journey. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Oh, real, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick, mm-hmm. real quick. My bad. Sure. Um, I got so caught up in talk. I got so caught up in talking about film. Real quick, before we let you go, tell people about your podcast, real quick. Oh, uh, thanks. Um, uh, Homegrown Community Podcast. Uh, it's on Facebook. Uh, there's a face dedicated Facebook page under the name Homegrown Community Podcast, and basically it's a podcast about uh, those artists, entertainers, entrepreneurs, business leaders, uh, just good all around good people that's doing good in the community that's either from or live in North Carolina. 
Um, right now, we're focusing on High Point, the Triad, Greensboro, Winston-Salem. So if you're in that area, um, you know, check in, tune out. You get to be introduced to some of the folks that's in that area that's doing some really good things in the community. And uh, we, we're going to be looking forward to having you on there real soon, Adrian, as well. I look forward to coming on there and, you know, sitting in the interviewee seat. That's going to be that's going to be interesting. But I look forward to talking to, you know, uh, chopping up with y'all. Yes, sir. So, yo, thanks again for your thanks again for your time, man. Also, really, um, when you uh, establish your pen name, you should really think about change, change spelling your name. T O T U M O N E Y, cause you're mother, bro. <laughs> I, I, maybe I'll do. I, maybe I'll do that. I'll, I'll give it some consideration for sure. <laughs> All right, thanks again, bro. Great talking to you. Hey, it's a pleasure, man. Told you so. All right, man. Peace. Peace. Peace, my people. Welcome to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. I'm your host with the most keeping hunch from coast to coast. Through God, I boast. ADQ. I am currently right here. About to walk into this Juneteenth Jubilee um, rally. I'm like two and a half hours. I'm like an hour and a half late, but. Hey, I'm here. That's all I missed. Uh, mask on. See what's popping. I bet I'm not the only one who's like, man, this is hot. I don't know about this. <laughs> nah, I'm playing. Well, this black power is beautiful. dog as way the April Parker celebration on Sunday because we'd be working on Friday. 
Oh yeah. You know what? I saw this on. Well, I am looking at is for him. Man, plug your business real quick. Okay, so I'm thinking Hannah, owner of Sensuous Sense. So we do fragrance oils and incense. But today, we're selling BLM masks for the movement. A good part of the portion goes to supporting us out here in the streets and supporting the business. So, how much are they? They're six dollars. We have the full packs. They're thirty. They have come with five masks. They're all rewashable up to thirteen times. Antimicrobial, two ply cotton. Um, Washable, real comfortable. All right, uh, which one is like the single ones? I'm about to buy one, y'all. Huh? Yeah, Thank you. I'm about to buy one, y'all. Because I'm wearing a mask right now and I don't like it. It does not reflect my personality at all. You say six? Six, yep. Here you go. Thank you, sir. You're very well. Oh crap, it is hot out here. Do all lives matter? Real quick, real quick to deal with it though. Do all lives matter? Oh really? Uh, well y'all got uh, y'all got um, y'all got beverages? Um, I think we can get water up at the front. But do uh, yeah, white Anglo Saxon Christian male lives matter? Definitely get some water, man. Will do. You get, you get the upside down. Right. Hydrate is the name. Do I got one right? Yeah, upside down. Huh? Upside down. All lives do matter, but black lives matter the most. Just let y'all know, I am not going up there to speak. I'm just not. I don't think now's the time. How you doing, man? Do you only take cash? You do cash. Do Venmo. Do cash app. Oh, you want cash app? Yeah. 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 All right, how I look? It's great, man. Cool. Thank you. White men had all control. Hey man, I'm podcast right here. What you got over here? Oh, it's all all right. It's audio. It's audio. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, I know Lock Nation. Alright, that's me. Call that number. I need I give you some work. I need somebody to do interviews and stuff. Seem like you want to do that. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, oh yeah, I got a podcast. Okay, well reach out to me. Okay. That's me. Reach out to me on Instagram. I I'll start communicating with you. Oh yes, sir, we'll do. Okay. Thank you, sir. That's why networking is key, people. Networking is key. I got my own opinions about Donald Trump being elected. He says the black people don't have the power. The black people can't do anything. And that's just not something. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing good. I'm already registered to vote, but. 
I'm podcasting right now. Uh-huh. Um, can you please tell people why it's important to vote? Uh, well, uh, ultimately, in terms of in terms of observing the responsibility and right to vote, it's a, it's a way that we can access the, the system. Some people don't agree with it. You know what I mean? There's, there's some pushback in terms of whether, whether or not that's an, a viable way. I'm out here giving people the opportunity to make sure that they have the real choice on the day of the election, whether or not they want to vote, that they can vote. So that's why I think it's important to register to vote, because if we have the right to it, we should have access to it. Um, so that's what's going on here. Okay, so right now I am of, so right, so, okay, so tell me this, right now I am of the mindset, I say, I'm thinking that uh, my people, black people, we should hold our vote until election, until elected officials come together with a platform that will lead to the to the uh, deregulating and the uh, reformation of the police department. Therefore, we quit. Therefore, they will quit killing us. What do you think about that? I think at the end of the day, it's everybody's right to make the decision they want to. I think it's really important to recognize that if we're not registered to vote, they don't know that we're not voting. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that piece of interacting in the process, there's a way that we can let them know that we're out here and we are holding back our vote for an important reason. And this is an important reason to do it. But if we are not registered to vote, they have no idea. They have no idea that anybody's saying I'm not participating in the process. Gotcha. So blacks people Thank save us much, over sir. and over again. Thank you. Um, so uh, no white man's emancipation proclamation could ever do for us what our ancestors did. So we give great thanks. You better preach, queen. Um, just to do a little follow-up, y'all. Uh, justice for Tasha Rally is happening on Wednesday, June 24th. This is a black queer person who was um, murdered, well, Found a letter. <laughs> yeah. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Tell it. Tell yeah. It. Their body was found in a condition that there was no Their parent, her, her family didn't know. Um, and so there has been no justice. And so Tasha, Tasha's rally is going to happen at Government Plaza in front of the jail. Uh, June 24th at 11.30 a.m. Um, and so we're, when we talk about law enforcement... I'll be at work, but I'll be there in spirit. we're talking about state-sanctioned violence, we're not also talking about the history of Greensboro Police Department, even though they have been extremely murderous. Uh, we're talking about the Sheriff Department and the SROs in our schools, y'all. So let's make sure that when we are fighting, we keep an all-encompassing um, view of the law enforcement here in our city and hold folks accountable. Um, so justice for Tasha Rally, you'll hear from her uh, family and her mother at that time. Um, so she is no longer with us. Um, so... Okay, friends, we're going to take a little intermission, and then we have, like, maybe two or three speakers after that. Is that cool? Everybody get some water. Take care of each other. Revolutionary love, love, love. All right, y'all. I'm looking for the water right now. All right. Where's the water at? That green cooler? That green cooler? Yeah, green and orange cooler, yeah. Cool. I'll go to the cooler. Thank you. Cool, I'll go to the cooler to get cooler. I thought that was funny. I could be corny sometimes.
outside out here. It's like 90 damn, 90, ooh, excuse my language. It's 90 on the breeze out here. I'm good, sir. How about yourself? All right, cool. See, this is exactly why I should stay home. I'm here, I'm here spending money. Yo, it's live out here, yo. Yo, let's holler at the, let's holler at the FMC. my listeners so, sir so i'm going by this people. but please uh, tell us what like tell the people that are listening what you got right here got your man man here with uh, cut the music prints uh, cmtp gso on instagram 
Right now we have the Juneteenth since 1895 prints, as well as the Black Lives Matter with the American flag backdrop. Come on out to the Bow Park in Greensboro, North Carolina, Center City. Check us out. Thank you, sir. Now, now, I'm about to spend money. <laughs> black economics, man, too. Yeah. You got extra large. Recirculate the black dollar within the black community. Say that again, man. Say it again. Recirculate the black dollar within the black community. Okay. Yes. Cut the music. Okay, cool. That's locally owned and operated. The shop is right down the street here in downtown Greensboro. Think I can fit this? Uh, you can do a 2x if you like. You're supposed to lie to me, brother. No, I'm saying you can fit it, but I don't know how how you want it to fit on you. This is one x so I can fit. Yeah. Bye, money. I'll miss you. It's all right. It's coming right back. I do get paid on Friday. The state will not will no longer be here because black people are forever and we will exist without the state. Check the receipt. No, I don't want to know how much money I spent. I'm getting emotional because this is our duty. Black Appreciate people are business. still in chains. Absolutely, God by black, man. Recycling the dollar, like you said. How you doing, big man? Doing good. How about yourself, sir? Chilling, man. Chilling. Cut the music, Prince. All right. That's boss man right there. Oh, please, please tell 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 my people about your business. I'm uh I'm on podcast right now. Oh, work. Yo, okay. So hey, I am a small black-owned business. Been in operation. Say it again. Say it again. I'm a small black growing. Sorry about this. Growing black-owned business. And uh, I'm here in Greensboro, North Carolina. I, I go, my business goes by Cut the Music Prince. And I've been developing for the past five years. And uh, trying to go strong. You know, I got my own place now. And business is picking up. And uh, things are looking bright. Ain't God good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I focus on, like, I have my own retail. And I also do custom prints. And my focus is to work with other small businesses or developing businesses, um, whether it's, uh, and also organizations, uh, fundraising organizations, nonprofits. Yeah, so you name it. I'm, I'm trying to make it affordable, affordable uh, printing for, um, for pretty much anybody who needs print. Done, you know. Right, and that's how and that's how we get the word out. That's how we circulate the dollar within our community. Yes. By working together. Yes. All right. What's your name? Uh, Adrian Coral, sir. Uh, Peter Day. And this is my podcast, ADQ Renaissance. Okay. You uh, you have a card? I should have a card, people, but I don't. Do you have shirts? Shame on me. So what? Do you have shirts? Do I have a, say one shirts? Time. I bought y'all's. For you, your for your podcast? Huh? For your podcast? I don't, but you just gave me an idea. Yeah, you got my card. Okay. How much y'all? How much do y'all charge for print shirts? It depends on what. It's, it's a lot of variation, but it, we'll make it affordable. Okay. If I decide to go that route, I'll make sure to let you know. Sounds good, man. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank no, y'all for you. what y'all do. All right. I'm about to shut this down, y'all. Um. Oh yeah, I always start with a Bible verse. I'll do that in a separate setting.
video. I'll highlight y'all soon. Coming up next is my interview with my homeboy, To Money Johnson. To Money Johnson. Look out for that on AD. Coming up on ADQ's Renaissance.